that has some rich meaning to it. And so I thought today as we, as we observe it, that we would take a look. I think oftentimes in church, we take the Lord's Supper. It's kind of like, yep, cracker, juice, boom, out the door we go. But it's a real, very rich meaning to it. So if you will allow, we will dump in, jump into today's scripture and uh, learn a little bit about um, the history of the Lord's Supper, where it came from, what the idea is, also how the, the purpose is, and then ultimately how we prepare for it as Jesus taught. So if you have your uh, outlines, go ahead and pull them out. We've got some fill-in-the-blanks. Everyone recognizes this picture. Probably have maybe some in your house, or maybe you grew up with one in your house, right? So it's a very famous picture of the Last Supper or the Passover as, they, as Jesus celebrated the Passover. This is a depiction of what it, perhaps it looked like as, as they were in the upper room. As we think about Scripture and we think through the history of Scripture, we know that uh, in Scripture, after Jesus took the Passover, celebrated the Passover with his disciples, the next day he would be arrested and ultimately crucified. And so let's take a look, if you will, number one in your outline, let's look at the history behind the Lord's Supper. What is the significance and kind of where does it come from and why do we do it today? And is there Jesus in the Old Testament that we see through the Passover? So we remember the plagues in the Old Testament. Remember those in, in Exodus as God tried to soften the heart of, uh, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians to set the Jews free. There were several plagues that he had placed on them. Uh, the very last one was the angel of death. And we find that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And we'll go ahead and read through it. And then we'll take a look at it. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, verse 2, This month is to be for you and uh, the first month, the first month of your year, of, of your year verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each man is to take a lamb. And so they're going to end up slaughtering a lamb as a Passover. We'll find that as we go through. There's some key words to circle here. For his family, uh, uh, one for each household, verse 4. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that would be there. So if there's a single person or just two, they don't want to kill a whole lamb. They want to share with them. Verse 5, skipping down to verse 5. The animal you, and then circle the word choose, must be a year old males without defect. Circle the word defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Verse 6. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So there's going to be four days. They're going to get them on the 10th and they're going to hold them until the 14th. So there's going to be four days of observing the lamb. And during that time, they were to make sure that the lamb was without blemish or defect. Okay, so they were observing it to make sure that there wasn't anything wrong with it because it needed to be without blemish or it needed to be without defect. And so that four days was to observe uh, how they were doing. When all the people uh, of the community of Israel must slaughter, then, then all the people of the community must slaughter them at twilight, verse 7. <clears throat> then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frame. We'll talk about that in a, uh, in a minute. Of the household where they eat the lamb. Verse 8. <clears throat> that same night, 
They are to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Circle the word yeast. Skipping down to verse 12. On that same night, I will, and this is God speaking to, remember, Aaron and, and, and Moses. <clears throat> On the same night, I will pass through, pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn man, uh, men and animals. So God is going to go through Egypt. He's going to strike them uh, down the firstborn of both men and animals as a judgment against Egypt because they had false gods and he is trying to soften the heart of, of, of the Egyptians to set the people free, set the Jewish people free. And the verse ends in verse 12 there and it says, I am the Lord. Okay, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, again, this is God speaking to them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's the name of why they celebrated the Passover meal. It was in a celebration, and it was a way of remembering and recounting history that God passed over the Jewish people who put blood on the doors from the lambs that they slaughtered. And as the angel of death uh, or the death angel would pass over, he would spare them. And so each year, even today, if you are a practicing Jew, they will still celebrate the Passover feast. And they'll gather and they'll celebrate and they will remember when God passed over them and spared them and set them free from bondage. <clears throat> the verse goes on and it says, no, dest- uh, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Okay? So, as Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, he's reaching back into time, and he is going to take a a lesson that was taught through all times during that time, and even currently today, he's going to reach back, and he's going to highlight a few areas of the Passover meal, and he's going to raise it up and bring new meaning from a Hebrew mindset. Okay, and we'll, we'll work our way through that so that you'll be able to see the significance of it. But I want to share with you a couple of the Old Testament uh, elements of the Passover. So if you will, in your outline, and we'll transition into the New, New Testament here in a moment. So there, there are a couple components or elements. One is the lamb. Okay? They were to go out and they were to get a lamb, and they were to observe it for the four days to make sure that it was without defect. So they had to be very selective in finding the lamb. It wasn't just go out and grab one, take it in, let's go. They had to be very selective to, to finding and making sure that it was completely healthy and that all was well. And so the family would go out, they would pick it, they would choose it is actually the word that they use, and then they would bring it in, they would store it for four days, and then on the fourth day, all of Israel, all the Israelites were going to slaughter that particular, those particular lambs in which they selected. Now, if you look back into the Old Testament times, Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, and here's what he said about the coming of the Messiah. He said, he was, uh, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to be slaughtered, okay? And the reference of Isaiah is the reference point of the Passover lamb, that the Passover lamb was selected, chosen, without blemish, and it was going to be slaughtered. It had nothing to say. 
It couldn't say, I object. I don't want to be here today. Right? It had nothing to say. It kept its mouth quiet. Now, Peter in the New Testament, here's what he says of Jesus. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without what? Or defect. Again, referencing back to the Passover that they were to go out and they were to choose a healthy lamb. Verse 20 says, he was chosen, right? Just as in the Passover meal, they were to go out and they were to choose a lamb that was to be slaughtered and it had no blemishes and all that stuff. And for those four days, they would observe it, all right? Then another element that they used was the unleavened bread. In Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 8, it goes back and we'll read some of that. It says, on the same night, uh, uh, they are to eat meat roasted over the oven along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Okay. Now, oftentimes people will say, and it's true, that they had unleavened bread because they were in a haste. They didn't have time for uh, the bread to rise. And so they had to eat as they were fleeing out. Okay. That's true. But there's actually a, a deeper meaning to the leaven and the unleavened bread as they were to celebrate in the Passover uh, uh, season. All right? In the scripture, leaven was always referring to sin. Okay? So if you look through scripture and it talks about leaven, it's talking about sin. That's what it would be in reference to. All right? So here they're asked to eat bread without leaven. Okay, to serve to them as a reminder that they are, as the chosen people, they are to live a life without sin. Okay, it was a way of giving them an object lesson of the importance of putting away sin, and they were to serve that. That was a serve as a reminder for them that they were not to eat the leavened bread uh, that they were given. So you see in, the, in your outline there, the word leaven, it means bitter or sour, all right? It means bitter or sour. So in the ancient times of the Hebrew people, just like French bread, how many love French bread? Let's just all go and get some French bread right now, right? Who needs a meal? Butter, French bread, right? It's all good? You guys hungry? <laughs> Not yet. You know how you make French bread? French bread, if you, you know, you, you take a clump of the dough before you bake it and you roll it up and you store it in a cool place and you, you, you make it moist so that you wait for the next batch to be cooked. And every new batch of bread has a clump of the old bread in it, right? You guys get, get all that? So, so in the Hebrew days... They made leavened bread the exact same way. They would take a clump of the bread before they bake it. They would wrap it, roll it up, put it in a a cool, moist place, and they would hold it until the following day or the following week when they were to make the new bread. Then they would take a a handful of the old batch of dough and they would work it into the new batch of dough. Okay, so in in kind of in, in a generational thing, Every new generation of bread has a clump of the old generation of bread. Okay? Well, what is the significance of that? It is a picture of humanity, right? I am a father. I'm a father of three. I'm a sinner, right? I have passed on my sin 
to my children. And my dad passed it on to me. And his dad passed it on to him. And my great-great-grandfather passed it on to him. And we go, all of us, go all the way back to Adam. Right? Because we're all sinners, and the seed of sin is passed on through the men. Alright? Not to say that you women aren't sinners. Trust me, you are. Alright? So we're all sinners, and we all have received the seed of sin. So as he's using this illustration, as you have leavened bread, as every new batch of leavened bread has a, has a batch or a handful of the old leaven, which represents sin, so it is in humanity. So we pass on our, the sin in our life. And so if you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, uh, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? All right? So all of us are sinners. All of us have a batch of yeast, sin in our life. Verse 7. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. Okay? And that is the significance of, and everyone just cringes when we use the word in church, and it's certainly out in the world looked at down upon, of being born again. That is the significance of it. That we are no longer born of the flesh, but we have been born of the Spirit. And so when, when, when they write to the church, and he says, get rid of it, he's, he's in reference to the sin nature, right? That we have been born again. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new in Christ. Right? And so we are to get rid of it. And the verse goes on and he says, as you really are. Because he's referring to people who are believers. And he's saying get rid of it. And so as we look at the Old Testament Passover, we see the reference of the unleavened bread and the leavened bread, the leaven representing the sin. And as believers in the New Testament time and in today's world, we are without sin. Not because we're perfect and not because we don't sin, but because of the righteousness of Christ as believers in Jesus Christ have been imputed into us. And when God looks, and this is a bizarre thing to grab a hold of, but when God looks from the heavens into our life, He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Right? And, and so it's a tough thing to grab a hold of, but, but that's the reality as God looks down from the heavens and He sees us in our life. And so then you have the unleavened bread. <clears throat> and that means sweetness without sourness. Okay, And so the unleavened bread in the Passover meal was to represent the wholesome life. It's sweet. That's the significance of the part of the meaning of sweetness. It represents a wholesome life, a life that is without sin because of what the Messiah has done for us in Christ. Okay, So Old Testament times, they would slaughter a sheep for the forgiveness of sin. The New Testament... Jesus died for our sins once for all, right? And so as we sit here today, we do not have, as believers, we do not have yeast because we have the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed into us. And that's why Paul says, get rid of it. Don't live that way. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new in Christ. All right, we tracking okay? All right. The next part is 
the, the cup or the door and the, I have the door and the cup, the significance of that. In verse 22, he says, take the hyssop branch, dip it into the blood in the basin, you can circle the word basin, and put some blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. No one, uh, uh, not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, all right? So the word basin means threshold or ditch. Now remember, in those days, they didn't have curbs, they didn't have storm drains, they didn't have raised floors. That when a house was built or a, a place was, that they lived was built, it would be built right on the dirt. So kind of for us, maybe like you're camping in a tent. I know when I was real small, we did a lot of tent camping. And when we would go to different places that would rain a lot, each of us boys were in charge of digging a trench around the tent so that when it stormed in the middle of the night, the water didn't run underneath the tent and get all of us wet. And so we would have to trench around it. Well, this is what it means. That, that they would build a trench, not necessarily around the whole house, but in the doorway. So they would dig a trench, like a threshold, and then on each side, they would bury a container. And then as, the, as it rained and the water would run into the, into the door threshold, it would drain into those basins, and then when they filled up, that was kind of their way, their storm drain, they would take those basins and they would go and dump them and put them back in the ground. All right. So when they would slaughter the, the sheep for the Passover, they were going to do it right in the, in the threshold of their house. All right. So if you imagine, you open up your front door, you bring the lamb, it's going to be slaughtered right there. So they would cut the neck of the, the lamb and they would let it bleed out. And then they would capture that blood and it would drain in the threshold and it would drain into the basins, the little containers. And they were going to take a, hiss, a hyssop branch, just a branch, and they were going to dip it in the blood of the lamb, and they were going to dot it or paint it on each side, the top, and of course it's already at the bottom. Okay, so are we following along so far? So that when the angel, uh, the death angel, would go through, he would see the blood around the door, and he would pass over, he would spare them of death. He would cross, pass over their life, and he would spare them. And so it's a very um, symbolic picture of Christ. Now look, look what it says in John chapter 10, verse 9, as Jesus is speaking of himself. He says, I am the door. Now his, he's not referring to just like any door. He's referring to the door that the Jews would do to, to blot the blood for the Passover. And look what he goes on and he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So the Jewish people put the blood on the door. They went into the house and then they stayed all through the night until the following morning. And when the following morning, when sun, the sun was to come up, they were to go out of the door and then they were leaving because they had been set free at that moment. They were leaving to the land of milk and honey. They had been set free. Okay, so as they entered into the house, they weren't to leave any other time until the morning. And so Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and, uh, and will go in and out and find pasture or find freedom in Christ. And so Jesus references his own life to that of the door where they were to take the blood and they were to dot it on the sides. And when the angel would come, and, and they would, he would see the blood and he would spare those who were living. And so in, in the historical uh, context of them, they were to go in that night, the death angel were to pass over, 
They were going to leave the next morning and they had been set free, right? As believers, we do the same thing. We enter into Jesus Christ. He is the door. We accept him as our Lord and Savior. And we have freedom. We have forgiveness. And we've been set free from the bondage of sin, right? And then it becomes just as the Jews, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Some of us are still wandering a little bit, right? We haven't dialed in that part yet. But, but they left in freedom. And when we enter into Christ, then we leave in freedom. The bondage of sin has been broken and we've been set free. So all through the Passover meal, you see Christ in it. So then Jesus takes that and he's going to bring it to a whole new level in the New Testament times. Number two in your outline is the purpose behind the ceremony of the Lord's Supper. So Paul says, if you have your Bibles, you can switch over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says this, For I receive from the Lord Jesus that I pass on to you. In other words, Paul is just highlighting the fact this isn't his opinion. This isn't just a good idea. This isn't like, hey, yeah, we're sitting around. We go, hey, this would be cool. Let's do the cup and let's do the, 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 the bread thing. And we'll just kind of tie into the Old Testament. He's saying, no, this is actually from the Lord. That the Lord has given him special revelation and he's passing it on to us. And Jesus took two elements because he is the Passover lamb. So then he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he raises the level to it. So you have in your outline the bread, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says this, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, circle the word body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay. Now, as Jesus is speaking, the Hebrew mindset would have just embraced this because the Hebrew mindset was they were visual learners. Okay. The Greeks were philosophers. The Hebrew people were on-the-job training visual learners. So if you read a lot of the Hebrew stuff, everything was word pictures. You read the Hebrew stuff, you kind of scratch your head and go, well, wait a minute, what did that mean? It's a little more complicated, right? And so as Jesus is speaking, he's speaking from a Hebrew mindset because he's taking the Passover and he's bringing it into the current context of his life. So if you were a Hebrew and someone was to say, this is my body, it didn't mean that his bo- just his body. It meant his whole life. Every area of his life. That we are to remember it because it was in given to us. Okay. So when oftentimes when we take the Lord's Supper, and I'm guilty of this, I'll say, you know, we've got to remember the broken body of Christ because that was what represents the bread. The reality is it's much larger than that. It it goes all the way back from the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the sinless life that he lived, the miracles that he taught, the the sacrifice that he did, the cross and the resurrection. It's his whole life. If you go to today in a modern funeral or memorial service, we do picture collages or picture montages, and and they'll show kind of the the picture, a, a survey of pictures of a person's life from their infancy, all the way through their life. And it's a reminder of their whole life. And so when, when he was to hold up the bread and say, this is my body, which is for you, the disciples would have recognized that it meant his whole life. It meant every area of his life, that as they were to take it, <clears throat> it served as a reminder. 
of a time of reflection of the life of Christ. Okay? Then he takes the cup. And this would have been the third cup. There's four cups to the Passover. So he takes the cup in verse 25. And he says, in the same way, after the supper, that's how we know it's the third cup, because the third cup was served after the meal. <clears throat> he said, this is the cup. Uh, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it. And again, he comes back and he, he references it in remembrance of me. So what is the new covenant that he's referring to? Well, the new covenant is going to supersede the old covenant. The old covenant was a sacrificial system. It was, you're going to go out and get a lamb, you're going to sacrifice the lamb, and that was how you're going to have your forgiveness of sin. And Jesus is saying, we don't need to do the old system anymore. We're going to supersede that with a new covenant. And there's going to be a sacrifice once for all. And he is going to die, because remember, the next day he's arrested and crucified. Then uh, There's going to be one sacrifice for all mankind. And so he takes it, and he's going to remind them as the cup of the blood that he's about to shed on our behalf and on their behalf. All right. Now, the significance of that. He uses the phrase, in remembrance of me. Okay. Again, it's in reference to the significance of forgiveness in your life. That as we take the cup, we are to remember what it is to be set free from the sins. We're to remember what it was like before we were a follower of Christ. When we were in bondage, when we were in sin. And how we invited Christ in our life and we've been set free. And we are to, we are to use the cup as a way of reminding ourselves of the significance of what he has done for us. All right? So the, 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 the wafer is to remember his whole life. All that he's done. The juice is to remember the new covenant that we've been set free. What it was like as a sinner when you were wandering in the wilderness without a relationship with Jesus Christ and how it impacts your life today in a very positive and significant way. Okay, we tracking so far? Verse 26. For whenever you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so again, as we partake of it, we're remembering his whole life, we're remembering what it is, the significance of being forgiven, but we also are recognizing that Jesus promised to come back. We don't know when it is. Some days we wish it were sooner than others, but we know that he is going to come back. And each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a testimony that we believe that the Lord is going to return and he's going to return for his church. All right? Number three, the preparation required take the the lord's supper in verse 27 he says therefore if anyone eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of 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 the lord all right so paul writes to the church in corinth because there obviously were some that were partaking of the lord's supper in an unworthy manner now we don't know what that was we don't know if they were just not thinking through We don't know if they were just going through the motions and not paying attention. We don't know if there was areas of their life that they hadn't confessed. Um, We're not really sure what it is, but he just addresses them and he says, hey, listen, don't partake of it in an unworthy manner. 
make sure that you examine yourself, which is verse 28. He says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And the word examine means audit, right? When, when you work in retail, every so often you audit the inventory. And they take the, uh, the cash register receipts, they take the inventory coming in and the inventory, and they figure out what was lost, stolen, you know, the profits and all that stuff. Well, this is the same word that, that, that we would do. We are to audit ourselves. We are to look into our life and make sure if there's areas of our life that we need to confess, that we confess. If there's areas of our life that we need to get right with God, that we need to get right with Him. And it's a time for us to ponder any areas of adjustment that we need to make in our life. And verse 29 helps us to understand why. He says, For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body uh, of the Lord eats and drinks judgment. That word judgment means chastisement. Okay, It doesn't mean heaven and hell. It means chastisement. That some of them were not taking it in a worthy way and God had chastised them. And then he tells, he, he gives us an explanation in verse 30. He says, this is why some of you are weak and sick. And some of you have fallen asleep because you've partaken of it in a way that is unworthy. You haven't stopped, you haven't evaluated yourself and God has chastised you. And so some were sick, some were weak, some ended up dying because of the illness. Verse 31, if we judge ourselves, we will not come under judgment. Okay. Now, I know when you read that verse, you're like, I'll just pass. <laughs> no thanks, I'm not going to do that. And I don't think that that's what that verse means, that, that we're to be afraid of taking the Lord's Supper. It's like, oh no, the Lord's Supper? Let's see, uh, i got to go to the restroom right now. All right, i got to go. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you're to pause. And if the Spirit of God reveals areas of your life that you need to confess, you need to confess it. And He is faithful and just, and He will forgive you. And so if there's areas that you need to adjust, you take that moment and you take that time. And so as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's just kind of pause for a moment. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and just kind of ponder the significance of the body of Christ, his whole life. How does that impact your life? The blood of Christ, the new covenant, how does that impact you? As you sit here today knowing that you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been washed clean. That as God looks at you, and it's so, to me, it's one of the most amazing verses that when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It's just an amazing verse. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe there's some of you here today that you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity before we partake of the Lord's Supper to invite Jesus to be your Savior. And we just do kind of an ABC. A is admit that we're sinners. I shared that. We're all sinners. B is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on a cross, that He rose again. And C is to confess Him to be your Lord and Savior. And if your desire is to invite Jesus into your life now, just as I say this prayer, don't say it out loud, just silently repeat it. In your mind, just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I made mistakes. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on the cross and that He rose again. And today, I confess Him to be my Lord and Savior. Thank You for loving me. 
Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a new start, a new heart, a new mind, a new life. I give you the praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer on the back of that communication card I mentioned earlier, you can check that box, Becoming a Christ Follower. Guys, you want to come on up, make your way up to the stage? You can check it on the back of the communication card, drop it in the offering bag, all right? So we're going to prepare our hearts to take of the Lord's Supper. If you're one of the ushers that have been selected, you can make your way in the back. The worship team will come on up.